0: Relax and get ready to learn. Here's Pat.
1: Hey, I'm Pat Iyer, and this is Legal Nurse Podcast. I am pleased to bring to you today Dana Besant. We're going to be talking about one of the critical aspects of calculating how much money it's going to take to maintain the health and the quality of health that a plaintiff has Who's involved in litigation, and that is focusing on the expertise of a life care planner. Dana has greater than 25 years of experience in nursing and has spent the last 15 years working in the medical legal arena. She has experience testifying in deposition at both depositions for plaintiffs and for defendants, as well as at trial. Dana, welcome to the show. Thank you so
2: much. I'm really... Privileged to be here. I'm excited.
1: One of the things that people don't realize is that we've got listeners for Legal Nurse Podcast in over 105 countries, and not everyone is going to be familiar with the term life care plan. Right. I wanted to start with that basics of what is a life care plan and what is its purpose in the American legal system.
2: Well, the the best way to probably up what a life care plan is, is it's a It's a report that follows a consistent methodology, a standard methodology established for the field that analyzes the future, both medical and rehabilitative needs of of someone who has been either catastrophically injured or perhaps has a chronic illness. So the best value it has for the attorney is that it provides an estimate of cost relative to, that injury or illness and any associated long term needs that, that that their client has. So the attorney is focusing on the legal side of things. They're putting a value on the case as far as pain and suffering, lost wages, loss of and, and things of that nature. So when we bring the costs in from the medical side It allows them to put an overall broader value on the case so that they can obtain a fair settlement for their client. And it assures that their client is going to have enough money going forward to cover everything they need from the medical side of things.
1: And that's a key point. We don't have socialized medicine. We don't have a universal health system that automatically pays costs. And it's extraordinarily expensive to receive care that involves equipment, therapists, modifications to the home. Right. Handicap accessible equipment, doctor's offices, visits, home care, home health aides. I mean, all of that adds up, it and it's something does. that you consider as a life care planner and evaluating what this individual is going to need.
2: Right, and there, if when developing the report, the life care plan report, we consider each of those needs in certain categories. So you have future medical needs. How many doctors does this person have to follow up with? Wheelchair needs incontinence needs, you know, and for, I've done, I've done a few, quite a few plans relating to clients with amputations that along with physical therapy, home care, those tend to be the highest costs involved because of the amount of care and the complexity of prosthesis and things like that. So it, it can definitely add up. Mm-hmm. Several
1: years ago, we did a podcast on wheelchairs, and I learned a lot about the fact that wheelchairs get worn out, the patient's size may change, and then it no Absolutely. longer is appropriate. They can break down. The cushions can tear. Electric-driven wheelchairs have to be replaced. They or battery-operated ones. Right. They're very expensive to be fitted to a particular person.
2: Right. And with, just like your car, wheelchairs have annual maintenance co- you know, costs associated with them. So yeah, any equipment that someone uses in their, in their home day after day can break down.
1: And one thing that comes into my mind, Dana, as we talk about wheelchairs, was when I made a trip to India in 1972, and we landed at the airport in Bombay, now com- now called Mumbai, Okay, And there was a man in the parking lot who was a paraplegic, and he was dragging himself on his elbows and begging. Wow. And what struck me, and, and of course may struck some of our listeners, is that I had the naive belief that if you were paralyzed, you had a wheelchair. Okay, I didn't even realize, even though I was a 22-year-old nurse at that point, that you could drag yourself along on your elbows with his legs rubbing against the pavement as he was Mm -hmm. trying to get our attention. Having a wheelchair is a privilege.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's often their only means of mobility. Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, tell us, to give us an example of how a life care plan was an important piece of working on a challenging case that you were asked to assist with.
2: One of the most challenging cases that I can think of was my very first pediatric life care plan. I were I collaborated with another life care plan on and we were on the defense end so we were hired to rebut the, the, the plaintiffs plan. So this our our client was a six-year-old boy with cerebral palsy and this poor boy probably had like every, comorbidity and and sequela cerebral palsy that you could possibly have. It was such a heartbreaking case. He had hypoxic brain injury, hypertonia, he had a Mickey button, which often gave him problems. So he ended up having that replaced like maybe three or four times. He had significant developmental delays. So a, a big portion of his plan surrounded his rehabilitative needs with physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech, and all these services he was obtaining through earlier intervention services. So his life expectancy was greatly decreased due to all this. And when we were we went through the case and when we're analyzing each category of the, the plaintiff's plan, we were able to mitigate a lot of the damages and decrease numbers in many of the categories, but also address some errors that the plaintiff life care plan are made that ended up increasing numbers in other categories. So ultimately, it was a case. I, I think it took us probably over six months, going back and forth, and uh, it's, you know, it was a very, very challenging case. But I end, but I learned a lot. I ended up learning a lot, you know, for it being my first pediatric plan.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but yeah, this this poor kid, very very complex needs for him. And for
1: our listener, including me, who has not heard of a Mickey button, it sounds like something that would be part of a McDonald's toy pack, right. I'm sure It's not.
2: <laughs> no, no. A Mickey or button Mickey is it, it's a it's a permanent G tube goes into the I think it's the upper part of the Duanum, for nutritional needs. So the risks associated with a mickey button or any g tube are infection, you know, skin infection, leakage, things like that. So, yeah, this uh, he had I think several, you know, two or three occasions where it was leaking and and then when they gain or lose weight, the size fluctuates, so it had to be changed for that reason as well.
1: Thank you for that clarification. Absolutely. <laughs> How does your role differ when a plaintiff attorney contacts you and asks for a life care plan versus when a defense attorney contacts
2: you about a life care plan? Well, if you're developing a life care plan for the defense, you're actually approaching it with the same unbiased eye as if you were on the plaintiff's side. Your report should actually physically look the same. Your, you know, your the role you're playing as a life care planner doesn't change based on who hires you. Your focus is painting a realistic and reasonable estimation of costs based on, you know, that client's injury. Oftentimes, you find that the costs are going to be, you know, pretty high. It might not be something the defense wants to hear. However, you have to approach it with that unbiased eye because it is what it is. It's this is the mm-hmm. injury. This is their needs. So it's often you know you might not be you know things they want to hear, but it you have to be you know approach it actually the same way as you would from the plaintiff's side. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Then you're in the process of working on this, and then you realize that the plaintiff life care planner has left out something that should have been included. What can you do as a defense life care planner when that happens?
2: Well, in in reality, it's what happens more often than not is the life care planner or at least ends up putting too much in as opposed to leaving things out. So the the case I was talking about, the, the life care plan we did, it was a rebuttal. The biggest issue in that plan was the, was his life expectancy. The plaintiff had two separate experts that opined that despite his diagnoses, his Quella of the his injury, he could be expected to live a normal lifespan. Our expert, of course, disagreed. Uh, so throughout the throughout the plan, the plaintiffs life care planner was calculating costs based on that extended life expectancy or normal life expectancy. So when we went back in, we were costing everything at the more Realistic life expectancy that our expert opined on, and many of the categories were reduced by significant amounts. In other areas, there were certain things that we thought you know, there was a PMIC, which is a standard resource that a lot of life care planners use, it helps physicians establish fees. We use that as a reference for costs, we thought that a different percentile should have been used that was more kind of sitting in the middle. Mm-hmm. So those areas of the life care plan ended up being a little bit higher in the dollar amount. Ultimately, I think we ended up mitigating almost eight million dollars off of that plan. So the
0: oh.
2: yeah so the plaintiff's numbers she actually put them in a range there was a range. it started like at about 10.4 million to about like something like 40 million and our and we were able to take 8 million off of her total so mm-hmm. we were able to mitigate that much out of the plan
1: do you have an opportunity to go to the plaintiff's house and meet the plaintiff when you are a defense Life no not it? on
2: the defense side that's the it, it's you're you're following the same methodology as if you were hired by the plaintiff's side, except for that. You don't have the luxury of being able to go and see the plaintiff and visit the plaintiff and do a home assessment and be, you know, ultimately more involved with the client, you know, from a personal standpoint. The defense you're relying on, the information you receive, your extensive research, and and so forth, but you you don't ultimately get to see the plaintiff. There was one case, though, that that I had for a, he was a paraplegic, I was on the defense side, and I had a lot of questions and doubts based on what I was reading in the medical records and comparing to the plaintiff's life care plan as to what his true functionality was. So, we were able to get the plaintiff attorney to agree to let us, you know, meet this gentleman and and interview him. So, it it turned out that he was a lot more independent than the plaintiff's life care planner let on or, you know, put in her report. So, that changed a lot as far as how we approached the costs and you know his rehabilitative needs because he was doing a lot more, especially with his hands. There was something in the life care plan that she she said she he had no use or no strength in his upper body when actually he did, and he was able to use a um, a phone and uh, the remote on the TV and things like that. But that's yeah. the exception rather than the rule. <laughs>
1: Do you ever think when you're on the defense side that it's a limitation to not be able to see the plaintiff?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you learn a lot when you meet with them and you speak with them. And, you know, I think when you go in there as a nurse, people tend to really open up to a lot, I think, and trust you as a nurse or just basically as a healthcare professional. So, you know, physical therapist, occupational therapist, whoever, they they tend to like really trust you and open up. So you end up getting a lot more information straight from the client, to, or, you know, straight from the client, so. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I know that there's going to be people listening to you talk, Dana, and asking themselves the question, Is this something that i would enjoy doing is this something that i'm qualified to do what are the skills necessary to do this can you tell us a little bit about this aspect of legal nurse consulting and it is a testifying role that would be important for somebody to know if they were considering taking on this role before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. Hi, I am Pat Iyer, and I have the privilege of introducing you to Mary Beth Kirstein, who is one of the speakers at our October 26th 27 and 28, 2023 Online Success Conference for Legal Nurse Consultants. I invited Mary Beth to give a presentation that would include tips on creating powerful chronologies, certainly one of the tools that we find to be most useful in laying out a long series of facts for our clients. I'm gonna ask Mary Beth to tell you a little bit about what she's gonna be covering at the conference.
3: Thank you for joining me today. I'm very excited to have uh, the opportunity to share with you the importance of medical chronologies and how they can help with medical malpractice cases and personal injury cases. Understanding how to dig for the gold and find those gems can make all the difference in these complex medical cases. Medical chronologies serve as a concise summary or overview of the patient's medical history. And it's essential for establishing the timeline and understanding what events they had, their medical history in their healthcare journey. By creating an accurate and comprehensive chronology, you really have to pay attention to details. And there are many details that can make a difference in your organizational skills. During this session, we're going to cover three key objectives. The first objective is how to identify the key steps to create an effective chronology. And we're going to explore the critical steps involved in crafting a comprehensive uh, chronology and how to gather the relevant information that you need and to make sure you have it. The second objective we're going to take a look at is how to discuss the significant information to capture from the medical records and what you need to include and not include in your chronology. I will guide you through the process of identifying and capturing the significant information and um, that's crucial for your uh, comprehensive chronology. We'll discuss details to look for and how to prioritize them. The third objective is how to analyze that information. You get your whole stack of medical records or all your files on your computer. And how do you find that information and what needs to be captured? And how can you determine the um, understanding the impact of the traumatic event on your patient's health requires careful analysis. I will share your techniques and insights to help you objectively evaluate the medical records and look at the patient's overall well-being. By looking at these critical details in the medical records, we can provide invaluable analysis as legal nurse consultants that will help attorneys with these complex cases. By our ability to uncover the gems, the hidden gems in the chronology, we can make a profound difference in the patients and relevant stakeholders. I've been a clinical nurse for over 37 years, both as a staff nurse, a critical care education coordinator, and a nurse manager. With my experience and my expertise, my certifications, I'm used to reviewing thousands of medical records and helping attorneys find those critical details and gems in the medical records. I'd love to share those tips with you.
1: Thank you so much, Mary Beth. This is gonna be a fantastic session at our conference coming up October 26th, 27th, and 28th, 2023. There's a link right below this video, lnc.tips forward slash October 2023 virtual. That's the link to go to in order to secure your ticket so that you can be there ask questions of mary beth and soak up her experience as a person who has written many 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 chronologies and can share with you the tips for making them shine to be as powerful as possible for your client be sure to come to the conference and be able to get firsthand the information from mary beth
2: Now, let's return to the show. Yeah, I think you know as far as qualifications go, there are standards that are set by the International Academy of Life Care planners that say you know you have to have a you know obtained a degree by an accredited program, you know, in your field at a bachelor bachelorette level or higher. So, an RN would have a BSN, a counselor would have like a master's degree, and then maintaining that licensure or board certification through continuing education, you know, completing those credits as required, and then, of course, completing training and and specialized education for certification in life care planning. So you know, the, the I think skills and abilities that would be beneficial to this job are something that are already inherent, I think, in people who get into the life care field. The love of research, the, the detail orientation, the, the love of helping people, I think that's kind of all inherent in, in someone who's in this field. So it, from that aspect, I think it's easy to transition t- into this type of of field. We're used to helping people. We're used to dealing with people. We're used to solving problems.
1: Mm-hmm. What I haven't heard you say anything about is numbers. 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 Do you have to like numbers?
2: <laughs> oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah that's and it, and it's funny because that's definitely not one of my strong points. <laughs> but. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely, you have to work with numbers, spreadsheets, all all that good stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: What do you see as one of the most rewarding aspects of being a life care planner?
2: Meeting great people. Absolutely. I think that's one of the greatest things, you know, my... My thoughts turn to a couple I just met, my last uh, client that I'm working on or, or working with now. Amazing people to see them, you know, go through the you know catastrophic event and with catastrophic results, and 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 you know do day to day things, and 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 you know live despite everything is, is inspiring. And yeah, and I've met some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. So I think that's probably the, you know, my favorite part. You know.
1: And what is, from your perspective, one of the most challenging aspects of being a life care
2: planner? One of the most challenging aspects I think is actually getting up on the stand and testifying. The, the, Courtroom can be very intimidating, the experience can be very overwhelming. One case I had, and I was actually mentioned in a in a article, the defense side had six attorneys to my one plaintiff. And they were debating on whether or not I was qualified to testify. So I was sitting there on the stand, the jury's to my right, and they're all, I'm I'm just kind of sitting here waiting to see what's going on. And you know they're all talking, and, and ultimately, at first they didn't allow me to testify. So, but you know, just being up there in in general and and speaking and and providing information and it's it's just a I'd say a you know like I said a very over, overwhelming experience, but it's a challenge. I think I I, I like to accept and and I think that it's an interesting part of the job
1: as mm-hmm. well. Mhm. Have you had to go to trial very often?
2: Actually no. I've only had I've only been involved in depositions and in court testifying a handful of times.
1: Another question that I have is If you could define for our listener who does life care plans? Because when you come from a nursing framework, you may think, unless you know a lot about this field, that only nurses do this because we're talking about nursing needs and nursing problems and equipment and the kinds of things that we as nurses do for patients. And yet there's some tension in this field because there are non-nurses. Doing life care plans, and they may think, well, there's non doctors doing them or non rehab counselors doing them. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, it, it's funny because the life care planner that I worked with when I, before I even knew about life care planning, I assisted her with doing some medical record summary work for her life care plans. And she's actually the one that encouraged me to get into life care planning. Her background was was solely rehab she was not a registered nurse she was a rehab counselor she had a master's in education in in rehab and and the type of and more of a an academic background so I think it was it was great for me to be able to work with her to provide her with that nursing background that I had plus you know learning a lot from her in return there's so many different fields getting into life care planning though you have occupational therapy physical therapy physicians there's a lot of physician life care planners now and there's actually an association for phys- for physician life care planners it's basically anyone in the healthcare field with you know a medical background or a rehabilitative background it's they you know they're getting into the field and, and doing life care plans so it's it's broadening quite a bit as to who enters the field
1: are you ever in a situation where an attorney could say well dana why should i hire you as a nurse i have a choice between other fields for my life care planner and you're on the spot ready to answer well why do you need a nurse as a yeah to-
2: <laughs> Another type of professional. How do you? Right. Respect- well, you know, a couple of things. Uh, first, nurses tend to be, you know, very detail oriented, not that physicians aren't, but we tend to like really get into the meat and potatoes of the of the nursing notes and and pick up some of those nuances that physicians may not have time to see or don't, you know, just they're looking at the bigger issues, so they might tend to overlook them. So, you know, work the, that perfectionist, that, that, you know, getting into the, the nitty gritty of the case is often one of the nurse's best qualifications. And then there's, quite honestly, the cost. When you're hiring a physician life care planner, their rates are obviously going to be much higher. So you can still get the same quality of work sometimes even better because the nurses, you know, have the time where the physicians might not, if they have a full, you know, caseload in their, in their office and so forth. So I think there's definitely a, a huge value to have a nurse do the work for the attorney.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would see that you'd have your arguments marshaled and lined up and you mentioned the cost. Can you give our viewer a sense of? Is this something you can do in five hours, ten hours, twenty hours, you know, fifty hours? And I know that it will vary depending upon the size of the case. But give us a little sense of how much time it takes to go through and complete the responsibilities of creating a life care plan.
2: Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, it's very you know, case specific, very individualistic And you know, it also depends on how much information you can obtain. The more you can obtain from the attorney, the better. It, it, the I always ask for invoices, billing, things like that, because it, ultimately that helps save research time. I mean, we're we're skilled researchers. We know how to find what we need relatively quickly, and so forth. But to you know, save the attorney time, it, it the mo the, the more they can provide to us to to search through and to provide, you know, to to add into the plan is is better. It, it, I've had some cases where there might be a thousand pages of medical records with very little useful things in there where, and then, you know, 100 pages of medical records with a a ton of detail that take a little bit longer to go through. So it it really ranges quite a bit. And it's really hard. I know a lot of attorneys call and say, can you kind of give me an estimate how much, you know, you think you, you know, how long you think it'll take to do this case. And it's really difficult. I try to give them as best estimate as possible, but it there's so many factors that come into play Especially if you're on the plaintiff side and you have to arrange a home visit with the client, you have to you know you know research everything. so the the case that I can refer back to the case that I discussed it, I mean, we worked on that case over a period of maybe you know several months, forty plus hours I mean there were it was a you know a big case, so. Varies quite a bit, like you said, but, you know, there are times where if we are going above the, like, say, a quoted time or an estimate, then we can let them know, like, this is getting more complicated. So, a lot of different factors involved there.
1: And I have two more questions for you. What advice would you give to an LNC who wants to learn more about life care planning to consider this as an additional
2: or a primary service that that person wants to offer? there's one thing that I want to say or like legal nurse consolings consultants, excuse me, getting into the field is it, there's an important distinction that they would have to make. Because when you do life or legal nurse consulting work, your focus is causation. Everything's a, you know surrounding causation. With life care planning, causation is almost irrelevant. You know, you know you're a damages expert, you're focused on, on the damages only. so you kind of have to put a different hat on as they say. So legal nurse consultants are very good at research already. Life care planners need to be skilled researchers. So that's where I'd say to begin, just research life care planning in general, kind of get a feel for what this field involves. I think it's ever changing and ever growing. But you know, that's the first place to start. There's a ton of information on the internet. There's you know, people that you can connect with on various places like LinkedIn. You can also mentor a life care plan. Like I have the privilege of being able to do, Mm -hmm. learn a lot. That I think is a great scenario if you have that opportunity to, so that you can learn more and more about it and then decide, yes, this is something I wanna do. So yeah, I'd say just, you know, research as much as you can you know, immerse yourself in the field. There's an organization that I'm involved with, the International Association of Rehab Professionals. They provide a plethora of resources, educational materials, networking opportunities and things like that. So to be, you know, get involved with that association and just, you know, lean on their expertise. And then I, I think for a le- like I mentioned the legal nurse consultants are kind of in that legal mindset. They're you know accustomed to dealing with attorneys and working with attorneys. So I think the transition is fairly easy. I mean I was I did legal nurse consulting work as well before I became a life care planner. So it, it kind of reminds me also when I was back in nursing school, Quite a few people in our class were nursing aides and working as you know volunteers or whatever in the uh, you know in in hospitals so it's kind of like just surrounding yourself in in that atmosphere and, and kind of absorbing some things before you even you know make a consideration is is very valuable
1: Dana, I know that we have stirred up some thoughts in some of our listeners. How can our listeners find out more about you and the services that
2: you offer? Well, they can take a look at my website. It's www.camdenconsulting.net. My email, dbissants, That's D-B-I-S-S-O-N-T-Z at gmail.com. And my phone number is on my website as well. Please feel free to reach out, shoot me an email, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always willing to, you know, talk with people and you know give advice or or help out in any way I can. And would you give us your website again? Absolutely. It's www.camdenconsulting.net. That's C-A-M-D-A-N. All right. Thank you.
1: A little differently. (laughs) That's what I was looking for to make sure that we had the spelling. Right. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Dana, for sharing your experiences. You've opened up a little window into this field. I'm sure it made our listener recognize that there's a big room in that beyond that window of opportunities to explore the ways that life care planners can help people, particularly in a legal system that is geared to trying to maximize the recovery for somebody who's been injured. Absolutely. And facing a lifetime of costs, often without any insurance coverage. So that life care plan and the settlement or the verdict in court becomes necessary, literally to keep that person alive.
2: Yes, absolutely, absolutely.
1: Well, thank you for being my guest, Dana, and thank you to you who's been spending your time listening to Dana either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or going to our YouTube channel for Legal Nurse Business, where you can see the video version of this podcast.
2: Yeah, Um, thank you everyone for listening. And Pat, thank you so much for inviting me. It really means a lot to me. Thank you. You're welcome.
1: And I put out this request periodically. Share with us a picture of where you're listening to Legal Nurse Podcast. I have gotten a couple so far. I would love to get more. Where are you? Are you in your car? Are you taking a walk? Are you doing a workout at a gym? Where are you listening? Take a shot. Email it to me at patire at legalnursebusiness.com. P-A-T-I-Y-E-R at LegalNurseBusiness.com. And we'll post your picture. Come back next week for a new show, new topic, new guest, and keep on doing your legal nurse consulting, helping attorneys, and making a difference. Coming up next, you're going to have an opportunity to go into the walls of the nursing home with Tina Baxter and look at an issue that affects the care and safety of nursing home residents, and that is the risk of falls. What happens when a fall occurs? Tina and I have just finished recording a podcast on this topic, and I'll turn it to you, Tina, and say, what are some of the major topics that we covered in your podcast?
2: Uh, well, it's sort of like the anatomy of a fall. You know What happens when a person falls and what type of injuries um, that can occur from the fall? Uh, what type of mechanical lifts um, that are used to help prevent falls and to safely transfer residents and uh, how they are used today? And also the role of the CNA and the nurse in reporting falls, documenting falls, and understanding what their legal liability will be um, if uh, these falls are not reported.
1: If you are an LNC who is involved in looking at falls in the elderly, this is a show that you'd be that you will want to watch. And take notes on and get a deeper understanding about what happens in a nursing home when a resident falls. And who's responsible for making those assessments, informing the family, contacting the physician, arranging for an x-ray or transport, and documenting appropriately what occurred. Tina Baxter and falls in nursing homes are coming up next.
0: Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest.